This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Hello and welcome to the Shakti Hour, a podcast on Ram Dass's Be Here Now Network, where I speak with women about their personal experience on the spiritual path. My name is Melanie, and today I'm sharing a talk with the brilliant Tammy Lynn Kent, author of Wild Feminine and Wild Creative. I was turned on to Tammy's work several years ago, and she and I actually spoke at the beginning of last year, but our talk was interrupted by the internet uh, too many times to be used. I was in Paris, and she was in Portland, and there was just too many technical difficulties. So we got another chance to talk just this week, and I'm so glad we did because we are now featuring Wild Feminine, one of Tammy's books on the Shakti summer reading series. So if you're following along with that, please grab a copy of Wild Feminine and dig in. Men that are listening, you might find more resonance with her latest book, Wild Creative, which focuses more on bringing the two energies into harmony together. We talked this time about a lot of different things. But really what's fascinating about Tammy's work is that it is centered in the female body, in specifically the pelvic bowl, which she says is the link to the feminine energy. And I find the exercises that she outlines in her book to be super powerful and also easy to work with. And I've had some really wonderful releases from using the techniques that she shares and also just, um, you know, opening up to another way of experiencing the power of the body as it relates to feminine energy within and around me. So I hope you enjoy hearing about her work and hearing this conversation. If you are enjoying what you hear, please remember to subscribe to the Shakti Hour on iTunes and leave us a positive review. You can also follow me on Instagram, Meditate with Melanie, same as my website, meditatewithmelanie.com, and on Twitter, Shakti Hour, and also the Shakti Hour Facebook page. You can follow along there to stay up to date with all the Shakti Hour news and happenings. Thanks so much for listening. Please do go to BeHereNowNetwork.com where you can also make a donation to the Shakti Hour to support 
the podcast and all the other offerings at the network. Thanks so much for listening. This week I was going back through Wild Feminine and reading it and I was just thinking about you and your life and how, you know, you live with these three or four men mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and you came from this, you know, very conventional mm-hmm. medical training, you know, physical therapy training, very, you know, Mm-hmm. patriarchal for lack of a better word, you know, very old system sure. thing. And right. now, but then you've created this whole, your whole body of work. Everything you do is centered around yeah. the pelvic bowl of the feminine. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted to reflect, start maybe with that, with you, like over mm-hmm. the course of your work, how has that evolved for you? That relationship to only women and, mm-hmm. and men. Mm-hmm. including the masculine. I, love, I, mean, I have a lot to say. I even was just teaching in London and I end up talking a lot about the masculine, but I talk about it from a feminine perspective. So yeah. like the perspective of mother or partners, how to kind of be in relationship with men, how to nurture boys, um, that you keep the feminine intact. So there's so much, but I still am coming from a female perspective, you know? So I'm immersed in male culture at my house and there's a lot of things that I do to try to support healthy male development. And there's a lot I've learned by being in relationship with them. Um, I do agree though, that like male voices are still more prominent. So I think it's beautiful that you have a female space. I mean, what you decide to do with that is kind of your path, but like it just still, you know, even in like trauma, like the trauma realm. So I am very steeped in body trauma. We're working in the public bowl and I've learned a lot. And when I look at the main voices in body trauma, they're mostly male, the ones that people know about, wow. like Russell Vanderkock and Peter Levine and um, Stephen Porges. And so it's kind of both, you know, it's like the women's voices still need spaces where they get kind of amplified just because, and I think part of it is because they do a lot of the child rearing. Um, obviously not every woman is having children, but there's a certain amount of uh, support for men to kind of lift and get forward. So their, their work is just more amplified in general. (laughs) So it's just interesting being like so knowledgeable on trauma in the pelvic bowl. Probably one of the most knowledgeable people I know is me (laughs) because I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in the pelvic bowl where a lot of trauma happens. And men of course have that too, but then men come into the pelvic bowl because all the babies are conceived there. So it's relevant for both genders, but again, yeah, I have a lot to say about males too, but a lot of it's from the mother or female partner perspective. Where we left off with our conversation a year and a half ago, it was almost like the what they call in in psychology the doorknob disclosure. It was like mm-hmm. right as we were finishing, we started talking about this idea of of the activation of the trauma and the pelvic bowl, and that the masculine comes to the feminine to get that energy. And uh, I was fascinated by that, but we didn't get to talk about that more. So maybe that's a good place to start mm-hmm. about this sure. <laughs> relationship. Yeah, yeah. Me too. And all that coming yeah. forward, you know, there's, um, there's just so much to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how is it in your work of, of, you know, basically healing the creative energy of women through work, 
through physical therapy and energetic work yeah. in the in the womb space in the pelvic bowl yeah. how is that how are you seeing that over the last so it has been a year and a half which has been yeah. a really crazy year and a half how yeah. are you seeing that evolving and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. linking that with this idea of the the masculine coming into that right okay i can say a few things on that um for me, so, you know, I've spent 20 years working on the female body and crafting and, and uh, becoming better at my craft just by practice and being with women. And so what I would say is, again, in the initial stages, when I learned this work initially, I came more as a mechanic, as a fixer, and was more like the expert fixing problems, right? Which is still valuable because women suffer a lot with pelvic issues, even physically, um, things that they shouldn't be living with because physical medicine is really a missing part of our healthcare overall. And so to me, it's like, okay, let's, let's support women. Let's help them heal. Let's even educate them that they can have healing and not live with these things. So there, there's a whole piece that's still incredibly valuable. And as I would sit in the pelvic bowl, I would feel, because I can feel energy. I didn't know really what it meant yet, but I could feel this potency. And I would think, what is this? And now I understand it as the life force chi that's in all of our bodies, but it's particularly potent in women's bodies because we uh, develop human babies there. You know, we actually create life in our centers. And so there's this potent energy that we can use not only for babies, but for healing and making things and manifesting and um, guidance. And it is a potent place. It's where spirit comes into form, right? So I would feel this and I would think, why aren't we really using this except in maybe really limited ways? Like maybe you could say having babies. Um, and as I sat in that space and started learning the language of the body, which took years, lots of note taking and putting pieces together, it was like learning a language. Now I speak it fluently. Um, I realized that this energy had so much relevance for us now as modern women. Like there's so many things that need healing, that need repair that in our own lives and in the greater world. Right. So, um, also, I had to become very well versed in trauma imprints because there's a lot of trauma in the pelvic bowl. A lot of things happen physically to that space, energetically. Um, there is a taking of energy that can happen a lot of times. Um, most perpetrators are male, um, not all, but most. And I think that comes from the woundedness of what, how we're not holding men well. So that's a whole piece. You know, I'm the mother of three sons. So I kind of I have an 18 year old now. So I've actually gone quite a few years in the mothering journey of being with boys and realizing how we aren't holding men and how we are wounding them and how that might be turning out. Also, the environmental toxins. What that about are the, who's the we in that? The we collective uh, we? Yeah, it's a collective we. I mean, there's, you know, there's a range, right, of, you know, there's a range in that. But um, I guess what I would say, being in the female body, what I really started to understand is we really belong in tribes. We, we're, we're one big tribe, and then there's aspects of tribe. And in that, there's supposed to be a whole holding of feminine energy and a whole holding of masculine energy, and then maybe people who cross in between. And so what's missing for women, as I sit and hold women, there's often sort of a maybe a single or nuclear family holding a child, for example, and there's supposed to be a whole tribe. So I sit with women as they feel the loss of that tribe. And they may not even know they're missing it, but they know that they feel lonely and isolated as they come into being a mother, for example. Um, there's all sorts of aspects to this that you can maybe miss if you're like a working person. But if you get sick, you'll notice all of a sudden there's not a tribe to hold you. Mm-hmm. Or if you get older, you change jobs or there's a lot of missing pieces. Mm-hmm. So I guess the we is sort of that lack. Um, mm-hmm. For males what this means, you know, so I have boys, 
their energy is, um, and this is general, but I have three of them. So I think I can say this from being a male, not only my boys, but all their friends tends to be more kinetic. They, they move, um, they express through movement. They tend to be less word based, although they can be word, they can communicate with words. But I think from the time when they were the tribal part, the part of the tribe that went out and hunted and they were the protectors, they had to be silent. So they would go out and maybe on a hunt or something, and they would communicate to each other through just a, you know, gesture or an eye contact, whereas the women were at the village more talking. And so they had ways that they communicated that were less verbal. Um, and so when I started to repair my feminine field, I actually could see my boys better because the feminine is the original wordless place. It's the dream place, the intuitive place. I could see them. And so what I started to see in them was their attempts to communicate. That's the first place that young males get shut down. If someone doesn't hear them, thinks they need to say words, or they just aren't witnessed, then that they, they'll go there, particularly like if a mother is there, you know, ideally, again, it would be tribes holding, but they go, and if they're not seen or recognized, and I would see this happen with teachers, when they'd be with female teachers or other children among um mothers, if they didn't have that access point, that feminine field open, they would miss male communication. They would miss attempts at communication and expression. Mm. So men get shut down from there. That's like one minor, well, it's major. But that's, but that, and, and but here you're, 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 um, illustrating the, the tribal, the balance of that, because you're saying that, or I think this is what you're saying is that with, if the, the other person was not in the feminine energy, Right. did not have that awakened in themselves, then they were maybe too focused on the words. Is that what you're saying? Too focused on a, a certain kind of communication? Yeah, there's so many aspects to this. But like, yeah. for example, let's imagine that um, everyone was in the feminine field, meaning they were connected to nature and kind of that wordless zone and that intuitive zone. They would see the different aspects of communication and young males kind of naturally go through that and have that ability. And I wouldn't have known that except I was working on repairing my own feminine field and then I had boys and I realized they could communicate to me with just gestures, eye contact, like they didn't need to say a lot. So that's one place that a lot of young males get shut down. And so if they, then their own feminine fields get shut down, that later is going to turn into potentially a toxic male pattern. And that can range in degree. Um, but that's one aspect. Another aspect is there's no outlet as their masculine energy starts to rise, like as they start to feel that need to, um, to you know, bring the energy out, which can be, it can be fighting, it can be sword play, it can be balls, you know, a lot of men play sports. Um, if there's not a good container for that, so when there was the tribe that went out and hunted, they would take, they would develop the young males and then they would bring them out into those experiences and they would ritualize their masculinity. Hmm. And that's completely, there's no, there's no place for that except sports. And sports are somewhat linear, so they don't really have a container for everybody. So I've, I've been through this with my boys, like as I've witnessed their own struggle in that, whether or not they fit you know, sports are more linear. They're about sort of an achievement versus every male has their purpose here. So I've kind of, I've been through this, like one of my sons who plays soccer, I've been through the pain of this, his joy and his desire, but then the way it starts to become really linear and narrow. And that's really one of the only ways they can express their male energy. And yet it's getting compressed in this way. So there's another aspect. And I mean, there's so many that I've borne witness to by having boys. And I think that's how we end up with wounded males. Um, but back to the trauma imprints in women, you know, trauma, 
really all it does is it breaks the flow of energy in the body. So we can't change that trauma happens, but we can repair those trauma imprints so the energy flows better. And that's what I do with women. That's one of the things that I've learned from the female body how to do. And so first of all, that repair needs to be happening. And because it's hardly known, it's something that I teach in my work and I do for women. You can imagine how much of it doesn't actually get done because we need body-based trauma work. And then we're talking pelvic bowls. So that's a very specific place. And there's almost nobody understanding or doing that. So I'm kind of one of the lone knowledge bases in that. And then all the community comes in through that space. So those trauma imprints impact the whole world we're birthing. They impact every woman in her personal life, every child that enters through her body and the community that's around her. They communicate all sorts of things about what's possible and not possible. So, and they can cut off a woman's connection to her own body. They, trauma does not, um, cannot destroy that energy. It's so powerful, that feminine center, but it can interrupt a woman's connection to that part of herself so that she kind of lives outside of it. So a lot of what I do is repair work for women to come back to that space. And then it impacts everybody that she's connected to. So, you know, there's just so much because there's just right. so I mean, much. there's a lot, you know, there's kind of, um, you know, like Malala talks about, you know, educate girls and that will, yeah. you know, heal the earth. And this is a, a thing that's kind of talked about. And I think it gets, uh, what I love about your work is I think it gets, it gets um, wrapped up in gender and yeah. feminism. And what we're, what you're actually talking about is this actual physicality, this actual relationship to the earth and to our bodies and to the flow of energy through these gendered <laughs> vehicles that we have here to yeah, express ourselves with. Exactly. It's relational with the okay. feminine energy. It's actually repairing the connection to the feminine energy. I mean, that's sort of what I came to as I started working with this powerful place in the body. It was like, oh, we have fractured our connection to the feminine in our own bodies, and or it's been fractured through patriarchal oppression. Mm -hmm. And so it's about repairing that flow, which Marion Woodman calls it sort of our original connection to the divine, the feminine, you know, so you can imagine that the bridge to the divine, imagine if the bridge to the divine is cut off. And so it's right. about, yes, yeah, that. so that's what you, that's what we, I think that's what we ended with <laughs> last time that just really stuck with me was this idea that, you know, at the beginning of last year, we were just kind of awakening to this idea of the awakened feminine and this, this mm -hmm. global kind of chaotic Shakti energy coming into play and needing to heal. And you mentioned something about hopefully we can, hopefully we can tap into it from not the place of trauma so that right. we can offer this healing. And you had said something about, so the men take that from us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, well, they, tap, yeah. they tap into it through us. And so it is, I, it's, it's complicated, but I guess, you know, I'm still sort of exploring it because yeah. I'm kind of, we're working with, um, fractured systems. They're not whole systems. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, what is whole? What does wholeness look like? It's hard to even fathom. But in my own experience, what I've noticed is I think when men don't have access to that feminine field, they do, it, there's a way in which they tap into it through our bodies, but if they don't have their own access, I think they're more desperate and kind of have a need based to tap into it versus what I think we can do. And what I've worked with, with my sons and my partners having their own access to it. So meaning through nature, you can have, if your own feminine field is alive through creativity, through nature, through your own ways of sort of channeling it. So 
their bodies also run feminine energy, but not quite as much. They run a little more young, masculine. And of course, there's variations to this. But our bodies literally, as women, run feminine energy in the center. And so, but they can access it, you know, when they go out to nature and they spend time in the wild, they're accessing that feminine energy. And you notice men that have kind of a robust connection to nature or some sort of way that, you know, they get out and they're like either either they're fishing or they're boating or they're biking or they're hiking and they have that relationship. Um, They're farming. They're connected to that, the cyclical feminine aspects of the earth. Um, Also creativity, being richly creative, that runs it too. So then they have their own access point. Then we can kind of come together more dynamically and share the passion and the potency that we have in that yin-yang experience as we merge, um, rather than sort of this desperate, I don't have it, I have to get it. And that's kind right. of... And the, if the, and if the tra- if it's, if I don't have it, I have to get it and I don't have it because it's been fractured and traumatized in right. me, then, then what are, where are we, go- like, how do we, what are we doing? And yeah. That's where all the food addictions and the, right. the drug addictions and right. the shopping addictions. Right. And the, I think the scarcity lack mentality is literally from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so fascinating. And, and I just, I'm so curious about how your evolution as a practitioner in really just owning this language yes. around energy and, you know, being trained in the medical profession and, right. and, and the, all the, you know, whatever hindrances or drawbacks around the female body or the way that that's been presented. And now you're, you're, you know, you're really speaking in terms of chi and flow and generational trauma. (laughs) So how, how is, how have you come into that in your own spiritual life? Yeah. I would say, you know, again, so originally I did have more of a maybe patriarchal or separation of body spirit way of being. It's sort of like when I, started, it was more kind of the head knows better, you know, so me helping to fix the body, etc. Then what I evolved to was coming into more of this relationship with the body, the awe of the body, and then actually receiving guidance from the body. So um, the, the system that I most feel aligned with is oriental medicine, because that's the same way in which you read the chi of the body and you receive guidance in that way. I'm listening to you. I'm trying to bring it back. Okay. (laughs) So it's about reading the body, working with the body as a partner. And um, to me, that's also the feminine, right? So it was sort of this masculine kind of head knowledge. I come in, I'm the authority. I know I'm fixing, which there's still value in, like I said, in that physical medicine. But for me, it became um, really listening to the body and receiving guidance from the chi of the body and how to work with its own power, how to work with the power of the ovaries, work with the power of the womb. There's tremendous uh, chi potency in that pelvic bowl that we can access and use. And so as I started understanding that, of course, I was healing it in my own self. So I come from a strong academic background. So super linear, achiever oriented, you know, get you know, top of your academic class kind of mentality, a little disconnected from the body. And so for me, it also became an evolution in my own understanding of where my knowledge came from, that I could actually have knowledge from my root. So I draw from a whole different source in my own body than I used to. So it's more of, this is kind of where I got into wild creative, where I actually source from my womb and my center and from the wisdom in my own body. And I surf that and use that to create my life. Whereas before it would have been very top down, Mm. kind of heady, 
Um, maybe when I would run into obstacles, I would just push through them. This is more about sitting with them, receiving guidance, understanding cycles and timing. And it's a much more feminine approach to life. Um, and I would say too, you know, my evolution over the years, I think the phone energy has gotten a lot stronger. I mean, from what I've kind of tuned into with the Maya time calendar and, and other, like there was uh, also a thought about this in, in Asian culture too, that we just left a 5,000 year period of the masculine dominance. And we, in 2012, flipped into feminine time. And what I've been feeling and noticing as I work on women's bodies is the feminine energy is even stronger than ever. Like it used to be something where I would kind of like, you know, try to feel it, try to understand it. Try, and I don't think it's just my own skill has improved. Literally, it feels like it's a stronger current. Mm. Now, it's hard when you look at the outside world and all the things that are happening, but it's kind of like there's a lot of breakdown that has to happen. All the systems are not really functioning on feminine energy. And so to me, a lot of the stuff has come out of the shadows. It's really painful to look at. We're looking at a lot of accumulated stuff that needs to be fixed, healed, tended to, you know, so it's a, it's a challenging time. But when I go and put my hands on women's bodies, I feel so much hope because it's stronger than ever. And when I go and teach this work, like I just got back from London and I was teaching a group of practitioners that gathered from all over Europe and they all find out about this through the word of mouth. Like there isn't like a big marketing push. Like this is all underground kind of networks, women talking to each other and people speak the language. They're ready to receive it. Like all the, the mechanisms for the feminine are coming in strong if you're paying attention, you know? So, you know, I actually noticed that, that I was <laughs> much more able to, I noticed two things. I was reading this again and feeling like I can't believe this was written you know however many years ago and I and, and it took you seven years to write because it feels so much of the moment yeah. so much exactly what it's like the handbook for the moment of healing the feminine yeah. and um, I can relate to this as I was going through it again this week I was I was like noticing the distance between what I thought was happening and what actually was happening, uh, mm -hmm. in, in that area in my body, in the womb space. Mm -hmm. And that, um, there's, there's so much drama out there right now and traumatic drama and darkness yeah. and, right. uh, problems. Right. And so, and so I was thinking, and, and my body itself has felt taxed by that. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I was thinking that, when I was going to source into here, I was going to experience that in my womb center, but I was actually found mm -hmm. all this potency and kind of pure kind of light energy was sitting mm -hmm. in there. And so that was like kind of confusing and radical <laughs> too <laughs> then. But then I feel like, um, at least for me, that that's kind of um, maybe where we're at is it's now how, so I'm going to heal that in myself. It's healing in myself. We're raising this vibration. It's becoming part of the language. How am I, how am I going to take this into the world? Right. 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 Yeah. And this, and this other thing about, okay, so this is enter this feminine energy is raising. How am I going to dialogue with the masculine? Right. How, how is this, how can yeah. I, how can I, um, yeah, with this and inter integrate, reintegrate into the old system or a new system or. Right, right. Yeah, it, I mean, that is the work of our time is repairing the flow and the connection to the feminine 
and letting it guide us to the change of the masculine structure. So, I mean, the way I've come to see it through working with the body is the feminine is our ability to receive and gestate. It tends to be on the left side of the body, which is the right brain. Um, and it's where we take in and receive and hold and move and gestate. And then we put it out into the world in form. And that is how we're living our lives, the job structures we create, the family structures, all of it. And you can see how much is changing in all of this, you know, the way people live and all of that. There's change and breakdown. And But ideally, we bring the feminine energy to guide it. So in this balanced way, the feminine energy would come in and download and we would kind of sit with it and then move it out into a form in the masculine. So it has to be that relationship between the two. So the way to work with it, you know, wild feminine talks a lot about how to reactivate this connection in your body, how to bring this in, talks some about the masculine and how to kind of look at it in your pelvic bowl and your patterns. But then wild creative, the third book I wrote is really also to me, the wild masculine. It's how do I take these energies and put them into a structure that is nonlinear. And so I have a lot of actually application in there of mm-hmm. practices you can do. And one of those is setting intentions every year and moving through a yearly cycle with those intentions. So you're kind of having a, it's, it's really making a practice of your creative life. So you have your energy. And how, flow. Do, how do you get people on board for a year? I mean, when we're like 30 seconds, the whole yeah. Instagram feed yeah. changes. Yeah. Um, right. How, do, how are you helping people bring it? Because I feel like that's also natural timing is part of right. part of the healing of the feminine. And right. we're so... Yeah, I, I think part of it is people just have to make a commitment to a practice, some kind of practice, whatever that practice is. And, you know, I'm trying to instill that in my boys too. It's like, we want the quick, we want the now. Um, in Wild Creative, I talk a little bit about what a creative cycle looks like. So creative cycle, and this is something I got downloaded when I was trying to get Wild Feminine published and I was running into walls and it was really difficult way back in the day before these things had been bridged as much. And so I ended up going to the river, praying about it. And this eagle came down to the river's edge with me and had this kind of download of information. And so this creative cycle notion is that there's different rhythms to a creative cycle. And the first part of that rhythm is the invitation. The invitation is the initial call. And if you just stay there, you will never really create anything of substance. So if people are just like, I want that invitation. I want that invitation. I want that. It just, it doesn't get through, you know, you have to have a practice that deepens it. So the next part of that cycle is preparation. That's the practice. You start working with it. So you have to be strategic. And I do think there is some sort of way, whether it's maybe it's on the full moon or maybe it's on the new moon and you look at something you know, every month doesn't have to be very long. I mean, I've created a lot of what I do without, I mean, I have three children, a busy practice, book writing, then and a, it's not like I take hours to do this. I take minutes, but I do make a commitment to the practice. And so maybe it's on the full moon, new moon, something that you set and you kind of check in with yourself. The work is the second part of that phase. So you have to have some kind of work where you're actually actively taking that call to the next step, you know, and then when you work it, you start working at, that's when a lot of people also give up. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, ah, I think I'll go back to the invitation cause that's kind of fun, but it's when you're working that then you get to the next movement, which is inspiration and you're f- becoming full of spirit. That call has entered your being and your energy field and through the working of it, this is the creative process, if you will, whether you're working a garden or you're working a family or you're learning some new skill, or you're writing something, it doesn't matter what it is, you're working it, and then you get to the next level where you're full of spirit. And if you stay with that, 
And that's uncomfortable. You run into your edges, your blocks, your doubts, you know, that, that, that's on a spiritual path. That's when the gunk comes up. And if you can stay with it, you get to the breakthrough moments, which I call the celebration where you go, Oh, now I know why spirit was calling me in that way. Now I see. And that's what everybody yearns for. But you can't get there, can't get to the top of the mountain unless you climb, unless you work, you know. Then when you get there, you come through the other side, which is restoration and you're integrating it into your life. So, Which is a huge thing that, 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 that that's another whole piece of, that's as a, a whole podcast yeah. on, on restoration and integration. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's two things that come up for me when you're, you're sharing that process. And um, again, for the listeners, there's, there's, uh, there's three books uh, by Tammy, Wild Feminine and Wild Creative are the two that we're talking about right now. But um, there's also, as I was just tapping into this energy this week, it just felt like it also wasn't only mine. It felt like there was so much of it. And mm-hmm. so... Um, that's one thing. (laughs) And the other thing is, um, you know, holding multiple projects, holding multiple, I mean, having multiple things at at one time in that energy field. So those are two kind of points that came up for me. Um, so Part of it, I think, is we're meant to co-create with spirit. You know, like we are spirit and body. And so if you kind of think of the divine field coming into your own field, it's I ended up writing this model for Wild Feminine to kind of understand what I was seeing in the female body. And that it's three concentric rings just to understand it's like the physical body is kind of the dense part in the middle. And that can be body, pelvic bowl, body of your life. Then there's energy around it that can be organ energies, mental patterns, you know, energy you draw to you. And around that is more the divine field, spirit, energy, touch of ancestor, that, you know, that realm. And so the energy comes through us. And like when we come into body, we literally come from spirit realm into energy, into body. And there's a lot of different ways you can look at that. But I think of us as meant to co-create with that spirit energy, with that divine energy, with that essence. And so it is bigger than us. So that's um, the not mine feeling. The that's the not mine. And it's meant to help you and hold you. I ended up writing about this in Wild Creative because I found this really interesting because I feel it's a spiritual process to create, to create a life, to create anything um, that is part of spirit. And I, I read this article in the Wall Street Journal and it, um, oh, I'm going to forget the title of it, but I write about it in Wild Creative. But it was a writer who's exploring the fact that he saw this trend among famous musicians and sports people that had some sort of spiritual practice connection to God that attributed their gifts to God tended to have more, um, like longer careers and more, uh, kind of robust careers Mm -hmm. than the ones who didn't. And he gave several examples in both fields. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, um, he originally thought this was just sort of a humble thing. Like he just kept noticing this pattern, if you will, like, Oh, I'm, you know, attributing it to God. But then he started to really look into it. And he really noticed there was this ability. And he thought maybe it gave you strength in, through the struggle. I think of it as energetic, like you're drawing from a broader source. And so you we're supposed, that's our birthright. We're supposed to draw from that divine source and bring it in. I do think of it as dual fold. I think it deepens what you're creating. When you draw from that divine source, it expands what you're making and creating. So there's that. It's more potent. It is also a source of support. It's meant to hold you up as you go through the different aspects of that creative path. 
um, just like birthing a baby, like there's an expansion that happens when you're creating that can be uncomfortable. It can push you through different channels and, and hit the edges, you know, where you might not normally go. You want to rely on that broader energy to help you when that's happening. And so also I try to impart this to my children. It's not really the creation we're supposed to get attached to, like the thing that you're making. It's the process and the moving that through and, and having that divine flow helps you with that too, because we tend to be a very product focused culture in general. Western culture is like, what did you make? What did you create? And it's, it's really supposed to be more of a process and an energy field that comes through you. And so if you feel that, then you already feel like you have something instead of what am I making? Cause we're supposed to be able to rest too. Right. So we're not always supposed to be productive. So we're supposed to feel full of life, even when we're not making something. What was the other thing that you had? Some other thing that you asked you about, um, <laughs> I can't, I can't remember, but I yeah. do think that, um, you know, that the, the whole way you're just describing that, that there's, there's such a beautiful interplay between spirit and, and form in the way that yes. you're describing that. And, and it just makes it feel even more essential to heal and awaken this, this feminine energy so that you can be more receptive to that so that all of us can be, because it sounds to me in the way you're describing it, 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 it feels and sounds like harmony. Mm -hmm. And, and that is something that can be a good antidote to division. (laughs) Yes. And, um, you asked, that was what you asked about just multiple things. How do you hold multiple things? So that's the other thing is that field holds it for you. So it's like, um, then you kind of, it's kind of like you let go to God, you know, you really let go. And what I find, so I let whatever's the priority kind of rise up and it does, there is kind of a divine order to things. If you, if you get into that flow and you start trusting it and have more of a rhythmical living. So I do have a practice annually where I set intentions and I do it in January. People can do it whenever, but, and then i look at them through the year and I keep them for the whole year and I look at them every month and just lightly just touch into it. So I kind of know the things that I'm wanting to work on, but I also, so I kind of set those intentions and it does tend to follow that, but other things will come in sometimes unexpectedly. And what I do is really trust that field to hold it and whatever's kind of coming up, I feel into it. And when you have that feminine connection in your body, you kind of sense like, Oh yeah, this is right timing. Let's go ahead and do this. So like, for example, I had a dream a few years ago that I was doing a Ted talk on stage and I just thought, Oh, that's interesting. I feel like I get a lot of information from my dreams. So I thought that's probably going to, that'll probably be down the road, you know, or when it comes, I'll know that it's right. Or just feeling it from a feminine place. So not a masculine place of like, Hey, I want to do this. I'm going to go tackle this. So this fall, someone found my work that does the Ted talks in Portland and said, I'd like to invite you to the stage to do this. And so it was still an incredible amount of work of like meeting the team, sharing what I was going to do, being accepted, going through many, like 50 talk revisions and all that. Right. So there was all this work to it, but I kind of knew it was coming. It wasn't on my list of things that I'd set in January because I had done that the year before, but it was because I kind of had an intuition of it. I was like, Oh, this is time now. And I cleared space to, and it, things tend to kind of work out that way. So then I put a lot of intention into that and then it was done. So it's sort of like letting that bigger field hold, it helps with the multiple process, you know, and I'll find that with different aspects of like something will rise up and you just kind of move with what comes. 
Um, I'm going to, uh, yeah, I wanted to say that that, like, there's so much fear. That feels like the, the thing that is, is motivating the fear energy of our time right now is the, is, is the, the simultaneous awakening of that feminine energy that goes with the flow that follows Mm -hmm. the intuition that, you know, that is comfortable in the seat of chaos Mm -hmm. and comfortable to make these changes. I think that part of that also, there's Mm -hmm. so much power and grace in that, but it Mm -hmm. also can cause the mm-hmm. ego or the mind or the structures right. that can be that are um, a lot mm-hmm. of fear and uns- and feeling yeah. unsettled and so that allows then for these yeah. you know nationalistic and um, mm-hmm. very strong divisive mm-hmm. ideas to come in to try and reground right you know yeah that's why it's such a spiritual path too I think you know you know that those things are going to come up So, you know, and it's an individual process and then it's a collective process of kind of working with the fear. You know, I think to me, fear in the body contracts. It's a contraction and love is expansion. So it's about kind of walking that line. You know, when you hit fear in your own body, it's bringing breath and awareness and love to it, not just trying to shut it down, but kind of, you know, buffering it a little bit. And that's an individual process. But I think it's one we have to work on collectively. I mean, certainly that love thy neighbor as thyself, you know, as we went through the election and all the different things, I feel like, um, I started to try to work on where I had maybe put up walls against people that didn't think like me or, um, you know, and just try to embrace even people in my community that I might've thought was the other, you know, didn't have the same open ideas, ideas that I did. And, uh, that's a real practice. That's a real practice on the ground. Well, it's funny that this is where we ended up. Cause I had, I, open to this story in your book in in wild feminine about your your son and the pink boots yes (laughs) (laughs) and and um and the story about how he wanted these pink boots he was three right yeah and the store clerk tried to wink wink you and say oh these are too small for you you can't have them and you were like wait a minute he can have whatever he likes. And then, <laughs> and then you got home to your husband and he was like, yeah. why did you let him get pink boots? Yeah. And so that was kind of like a, a really, you know, surface, but classic illustration of what we're talking about. Like, yeah. you know, this, this natural expression that he had, it was just right. he, nobody, it was just a calling out from him. Those are beautiful. I want to participate with those, you know? Yeah. And that dialogue has continued, you know, the way I found it was, I think for me, there was a bit of naivety that like I could keep my boys whole just by my own, you know, interactions with them, but then the whole world imprints them. (laughs) And so that was a, a, one of the early lessons of there's going to be a, an outer world imprint. And, you know, what I came to understand, like, for example, about his father's response is that the masculine tries to protect. And so his father was trying to protect him from pain that I hadn't experienced. You know, I had not experienced the pain of being a male and being called names and being shut down, you know, and so wrong or right, um, you know, it was his father's reaction to protect him. And so it became a dialogue and it is an ongoing dialogue. And my son's 18 and I have a 14 year old and 11 year old, and they're all different boys, but it's just, we continually, I, I, I see it as a practice of constantly dialoguing these things. And 
I feel pretty proud of the space I've been able to hold for my sons. And I do talk a lot when I teach to providers about helping the mothers expand the range for the boys. Um, and it, it is just, you know, it's, it's such an, it's about permission really. Right. And it's also about respect. So for me, what it's taken, what's become is an ongoing dialogue because my sons are becoming more and more their own people. So it's about, here's my idea and here's my perspective. And then, you know, we dialogue around it, around masculinity, around the feminine, around what it looks like to hold it as a male, um, what it looks like to honor women. Um, one of the parts of the Ted talk that I included when I just did this, so I stood on stage for the female body and, and that was a real marker. I mean, that Ted talk isn't out yet. It will be out soon, but, um, it was a marker to me that there was this invitation, particularly from a very male based Ted talk team to come and talk not only about the female body, but the pelvic bowl. And I talked a lot about trauma imprints and healing those. And I said a lot of things that probably haven't been said on a Ted talk stage, but <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. I know. I'm proud of that. I worked hard. I mean, I said, I am going to do this for the female body. <laughs> I yeah. Did. Yeah. So one of the things I shared was because as I was trying to figure out how do I convey what I'm trying to convey in a story that will be understood by a lot of people. So what I ended up sharing for part of the TED talk was how I talked to my own boys about my bleeding time from the time they were little. And we had a very um, connected relationship because obviously I was breastfeeding and you know connecting with them. And so there was a lot of interaction between our bodies. So when they were little and they would kind of come in and out of the room and I was you know in the bathroom as children will do, um, and they saw me putting pads in and things like I would you know, just explain to them my bleeding time. And I was open with them about it. And, um, and there were some funny aspects to this story that I won't really get into now, but I think part of the healing piece is actually we don't a lot of women don't even really talk very well to their daughters and then it's like nobody really thinks to talk to the sons and that's a big part of helping create a culture that honors women so there were different pieces of that information that I gave them one was when they got a little older because at first they were just accepted it because little children do but somebody at some point said yuck and I said oh it's not yucky this is a really powerful layer in that in the womb that actually feeds us until the placenta is built every one of us and just those words and sort of honoring you know and transmitting for them like this is an original layer that fed you mm. and this is the beauty and the power and the moment you say yuck it actually separates between the sacred and the body right there and so it's like a completely different energy alignment when you say it's powerful and beautiful and this this was around you this was in you know in your space that you were in so they heard that and then later I would talk to them about be gentle with the women in your lives that are bleeding because it's a really powerful time and it's a vulnerable time and I explained to them about energy and what's happening so just that information and I, I continue to just add little bits I mean they don't want to hear a ton of communication around you know I try to respect boundaries but little pieces presented over time are super powerful. And later it translated to conversations about respect, about consent, about sexuality, about not only honoring women's bodies, but honoring their own bodies. And it's all rooted in a bodily context. So from the beginning, women are kind of shutting down and ashamed that their bodies are even bleeding and they transmute that to their sons. That just completely changes the course, you know? So it's, it's things like that that can alter the path. Yeah. And, I'm curious about the like the using words. So kind of back to what we first started talking about with the the 
masculine being in that field as well and maybe not communicating so much with words right. and you talk about in the right. book you talk about your your son telling you that you were pregnant with another child yeah <laughs> you yeah. know and um and also talking about how you you notice that the, the men in your house just kind of come around you when you're yeah. really centered in in that bowl so so i think maybe I would just add for the people who haven't read the book that there's also this whole other aspect of what you're transmitting. There's a transmission of the teaching through the energy, which is really Mm -hmm. the foundation of your work Mm -hmm. is this opening and healing of this energy. So you're transmitting this signal and then adding a few, you know, adding some words to it. (laughs) You're adding some, some knowledge to the transmission, you know, that's age appropriate that also, you know, can shape because I -hmm. think that there can be, if it's just the words, then it can be, you know, um, not integrated. Right. And there can be more of a reaction to it. Yeah. Uh, And, and I guess here's another thing It has to be respectful, not kind of like, um, not like I'm talking down to and kind of chastising. It's, it's from love. Like I'm really, I'm loving my body. I'm loving the way that my body held their bodies and thus loving their bodies. And it's all transmuted through love. So even when I told this story, I said, is it okay with you guys? If I tell this story, I'm going to be on a big stage and your picture is going to be up there. How do you feel? Because it's vulnerable. Um, and you know, we dialogued a little bit and there was just, you know, just a little, piece of one of my kids was like, I'm not sure I want my picture up there. But you know, I said, this is why it's important to me. I'm trying to help heal this pattern. Um, and you're part of that. Is that okay? And they gave me permission. And, you know, so it's, it's like, I'm also walking in respect for them. And the fact that we're in this kind of intimate way, we're changing the code here. And also, um, just respecting their boundaries and their feelings, because it is vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so, uh, I mean, I really just cannot, do you, do you recommend this, um, this book <laughs> for men to read? Have you ever had men read this book and have any, any reaction well, my to it? has been read and helped edit every yeah. page. So <laughs> yeah. I think it is great. Yeah. A lot of men have, um, I think it's more the devoted ones for sure, you know, cause yeah. they have to be kind of speaking the language a little bit, but yes, for sure. I mean, I think if they want to understand women, um, and even understand their own, I mean, they came in through this place, you know, so it actually is a real, like this, this is the, this is the entry point for everybody. So they can really understand what they may be imprinted and even how they can change it, um, too. And in wild creative, I talk, so the wild creative for me is the understanding of the, pel- the how we imprint our creative field so it's broader, so it's not just the pelvic bowl, but it's literally the field around your body that was imprinted in the pelvic bowl. So I wrote that book with my sons in mind and men in mind because people would say, what about us? And so they could read Wild Feminine and then they could also read Wild Creative and just start to think, hmm, what did I learn about my creativity? What imprints did I get? Where did I get permission for expression? Where did I get shut down? How do I want to change that? How do I want to embody? What is that going to look like? Um, how do I, what is feminine for me and how do I integrate that? How will that change my masculine? You know, all those things. It's, there's a lot of richness there. Yeah. I'm moving on to this, this chapter towards the end of this book, discovering your full feminine range. And 
this is just back to the creative power and the patterns that are held there. And having that be your access point to, as you say, spirit and joy, right? So, mm -hmm. Yeah. But also this has this, this capacity, you say, to shape her sensual expression and her capacity for tending her creations. And then you go on to talk about rage <laughs> and how, and how that was, uh, something that you found there when you were doing this work. Oh yeah. In everybody really. And in, in everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. So can you rage, talk a little bit about that as we're yeah, in this yeah. moment? Yeah. Yeah. So rage to me and everyone is about unmet needs. You know, where were your needs not met? Um, that tends to create rage. And so it's always about, you know, feeling and like digesting, but then what's the need underneath it? Um, what was the need? What weren't you getting met in that way? And that's how I encourage women to start to empower themselves to get underneath it. Cause in a lot of lineages, women have rage going through them. And I think about that as unmet needs, you know, unmet needs for expression, unmet needs for visibility, unmet needs for being in your own power, having your own authority for, um, being safe, being healthy, you know, all these different things for creating, for having agency over your own life. Um, also, uh, one of the things about men, little boys, often, if you see an angry little boy, there's often a deeper, see, it could be grief for other things. So that's just one maybe side note that it can be a lot of different feelings and certainly for anyone. But, um, one of the studies I read about boys when I was trying to understand my own boys was that because again of like that hunter um, fighter development that they couldn't really process what was happening they had to just act so that kind of got channeled so one of the main safe emotions is anger so you know sometimes it's a deeper you have to kind of get like if you have an angry little boy you have to kind of get to it but it's still often related to needs you know what kind of need is not being met and so in this moment where, you know, this phrase, the, the whole nasty woman phrase bothered me, but that's something that maybe is mixed in with this idea or a miss, I would say it was like a misalignment of this rage that you're talking about being tapped here in the pelvic bowl, but what's your take on that? Well, I think of that as maybe, I mean, so that's a whole toxic kind of shutting down of needs, right? Like nasty woman. And then, you know, people of course took on the term and then embodied it. But like the negative part of that is more like, how dare you have needs? Um, I mean, I think that's a typical patriarchal shutdown where, you know, the feminine does have needs and brings those needs to the table. The feminine needs to be connected with and touched and honored. And I think, um, a lot of times, let's say that gets shut down in a person, let's say a male even gets shut down, they may then become someone who shuts down other people. Don't you dare have needs, you know, like, um, people who don't have needs, it's easier to kind of control them. You know, if you, if I, if you don't have, a, if you don't have needs, I can just kind of, you know, like, the system can take you and kind of plug you into whatever they want. And it's kind of like the good girl syndrome. You know, I talk to people about this a little bit too, like, a lot, a lot of grown women know what it feels like to be a good girl where you like don't have a lot of needs and you're just really helpful and, you know, and how that gets co-opted, um, and used, um, and how we don't really want to have 
good girls. <laughs> we want really every, and that can include good boys too. I mean, it, it's one thing to be thoughtful and respectful, but being good kind of means that you don't have a voice, you don't have an expression, you don't have anything to say about it, you're just complacent, and that's a whole nother toxic pattern. That's what I would say about that. Right. <laughs> right. So as we're um, you know, moving into this next phase, which seems to be just more and more chaos on mm-hmm. the, the global stage, mm-hmm. How, how, as we uh, it, say, we're all reading this. You know, everybody in the reading series is going to go in and do do this work in here. And how do we? I don't want to use the word protect, right? But how do we um, give ourselves the space to really mm-hmm. do this healing and stay right. in the game? Yeah. Which is different than the wild creative transition into the game. It's like, right. yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing I can think of that's uh, helpful for that is the practice of resonance, which means um, it's like a harmonic frequency mm-hmm. around your body and in your body. So uh, we have these crystalline natures, you know. And so when you're in, um, there's a difference between reaction and resonance. So most of our um, patterns that aren't as helpful are reaction. Like you, you have something, you get frustrated. You see something, you get worried. Um, it's not wrong to have a reaction, but reactions usually don't translate to action. Or if they do, the action might be less effective. So let's say you have a reaction or you see the chaos get you know, afraid. That closes down your field. So what I think is the most helpful thing is to kind of sense into the reaction you have, but then do your resonance practice. And that's just creating a harmonic vibration in your body. So you can do that through chanting, through prayer, through meditation, through walking in nature. Um, All the exercises in my books are based on resonance. They're based on grounding down into the earth, clearing out the chaos in your center, creating an alignment, breathing into both sides of the body, setting intentions in the womb. It's actually, you're creating an alignment pattern in your body, a resonance frequency. Mm. So you can use this for stress. You can use this when you're in the midst of hardship. You can use this for conflict in your own lives. You know, watch it when you're in a conflict with someone, you usually get into a reaction pattern. And so where you're kind of like, you're trying to control them. And or, the conflict could be even with just a, a Facebook post. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. 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 The news or the news. Yeah. And so anytime you're in reaction, it really kind of simplifies things. And and I do this with my sons too. And they're like, like even with traffic, you're driving around, somebody cuts you off and you know, I have a teenage male driver who's like, Hey, you know, wants to get into the fight of it. I'm like, protect your energy, keep your energy in the alignment. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean you don't have a response. Like you notice, you see, maybe it's a call to action, Mm -hmm. But you take what's happening in your own body and the reaction and you clear it out, put more of a resonance pattern. And then you can ask for some guidance. Where do you want to take action? How do you want to? And it's different depending. Like it might give you maybe need a little bit of a break from it and then you can step in. But it will give you a support to take action. This isn't about sitting around. You know, we all need to be taking action right now. This is definitely not a time to sit things out. But you want to protect your field and keep resonance around your body. And you know who I think is really good at this as an activist is Starhawk um, because she brings prayer and ritual and energy medicine to um, activism. A lot of activists burn out because it is exhausting because it compresses your body. It's stressful. There's a real a real toll on your body and your energy system. But having some sort of practice and a resonance practice is a really good one where you just kind of you understand that principle and then you can use it 
to help you, to help you figure out where is your place of action. Cause you know, you, we all have our pieces. So figure out where your point of action is. And then also look at the collective where, where are some places you can plug in as we try to turn this whole boat around, you know, this increasing like sort of fascism wave that's happening in the world, um, the environmental destruction, you know, it's a lot, but if you tune into that resonance and you do, you do protect your own field and that's protection, not by a wall, not by cutting off, but through an energetic practice that keeps your field more whole. And then you take that and you get guidance and you step into where you feel called to do so. So you can pull back. So even going through all the exercises in the book, even just drawing it back just to working with your own pelvic bowl, that right. you you can take that process along and and stop, create resonance, right? You know, and then if re- there's more, if there's more, tra- if there's more trauma or feelings that feel out of control yes. coming up, then you can pull back and sit and create that resonance again, and then go forward again when it's time or in the way that feels right. Yeah, I use it every day, every day. You know, and some things are easier. You'll feel it. You'll be like, oh, I'm in resonance easily today. Hmm. And other times it's just like you're just clunking along. And sometimes that's you and your own personal. And sometimes it's the outer world. It, it can be both. You know, some days have real flow to them. You see that when you go to the post office or you try to travel, there's just great flow in that day. And other days that are just totally clunky and there's lines everywhere and traffic. So sometimes it's the greater field either is kind of in reaction or it can be your own stuff. But either way, a practice of resonance helps. So it'll help you. And then it can also help facilitate flow. So I use this when I'm in lines and other situations or in traffic. Even when I'm in a clunky, congested, reactive situation, I use the practice of resonance. So I use my energy meditations. That's why, you know, having chanting or other prayerful music or something, having that kind of close by can be helpful. If you practice it, it's easier to find it. You're just less likely to even try to get into a reaction pattern because you know it's pretty fruitless. And all it does is wind your energy up doesn't usually shift what's going on. So presence is a lot more powerful for moving energy, kind of influencing it, because people will match you. So if you kind of do that, they'll either move off and take their conflict somewhere else, or um, or it'll settle down. Um, super powerful. You make this a practice and start kind of, you know, your little harmonic and How frequency. do you see that then working in, in this balancing of the feminine and opening that space for the masculine to then come into healing? I mean, it seems to me like that. I guess so it seems to me like there might be a bit of a separation then if you're talking about it as resonance, if I'm mm-hmm. holding a certain resonance and this, mm-hmm. and this other person is not, or not able to hold that resonance, it, yeah, that's a, um, a curious thing about then how to have dialogue or how to interact with the world. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it necessarily means, I mean, sometimes you can have more dialogue. Um, like I have, different resonances in my neighborhood mm-hmm. <laughs> without getting into too much specifics. I've noticed it actually has facilitated connection in ways that I wouldn't have imagined. Two people in reaction patterns are going to fracture, but a resonance, you start to find the threads of where you can connect, you know? Um, so it's just, yeah, it's just something That's to try That's really out. powerful what you just said. So if each person is in their own resonance, mm-hmm. then yeah. you actually have a seat from which to extend an olive branch basically and see if there's a, a place to connect. Yeah, Whereas if you're both in reaction, there's no, or yeah. even one, if one of you is in reaction, one of you is in resonance, mm-hmm. it's kind of over game over. It tends to calm down the other reaction. I'll just say that unless someone's really locked right. in. 
it's like it, it kind of it's like it must be an atom type thing you know the atoms like get into reaction they start just getting heated up and, 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 and then when you create resonance it just sort of it's almost like there's nothing to push against so it just kind of softens it's really powerful you know just try it and notice it, it's kind of interesting it's not always easy it's so empowering know. too it's so empowering and, and self-loving to mm-hmm. to think of holding your own field and setting yeah. up that that resonance that's within your resonance <laughs> hence it's resonating with you and not mm-hmm. a aspirational or a um trying to match someone else's i really like that yeah yeah it's super effective just yeah. you know out and see the change so is there something that beyond everything that you've just shared <laughs> that you would share specifically with women and girls on the spiritual path? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say to understand that your body is power, just your very body is, and to learn how to access it and use it and take care of it, you know, find some reading material. Certainly Wild Feminine is a great place to start, but um, start looking into the knowledge that your body holds the key. Um, a lot of what we learn in school and other things is that the knowledge is outside of us. So I would say tune back in and understand um, there's power in your cycles. There's power in your bleeding time. We have a bleeding time because we are powerful energy creators. And that is actually a way that we shed not only blood, but energy. And we're supposed to have a flow, not a storage and stagnation in our bodies. But because of sort of the lack of knowledge and the menstrual products and other things, we sometimes tend to build up energy. And so start to resource yourself on understanding the way the cycles are powerful and impact you. And they have guidance for you. When you tune into them, you start to understand there's an intuitive realm where you can receive information that has guidance for your life, for your purpose, for how you show up in the world, for um, the way that you can bring your gifts to the world. I mean, it's, it's very powerful. So understand the power in your body and begin to access it. And, you know, we're in this time of visual imagery, and I think it's almost gotten more um, uh, impactful, all this visual of women's bodies in like a, you know, kind of how you're supposed to look and how you're supposed to dress and how, what size you're supposed to be. And so try to tune out of that and more into the vibration of feeling your body, feeling the energy, feeling the energy of the womb, the ovaries, the way they link to your heart, the way they link to your higher self. Um, so that you can access the medicine that is there and guard yourself against things that would tell you otherwise. Hmm. That's great. In, the, the, the intuition is found through your body, right? Through, the, through sensing into the body. Yes, sensing the flow of the creative energy through your body. Correct, yeah. I, I led a meditation a while ago where I was encouraging people to, you know, feel, tune into their ovaries and their, their uterus and their fallopian tubes. And the girls, the grown women were giggling and laughing about it. And, um, and is there some way <laughs> to make that um, meaningful to us to be able to really like imagine that I mean to really imagine and experience that as yeah well I think of it again as a practice and sometimes Mm -hmm. the first thing that bubbles up is a little bit the places where you separated Mm -hmm. you know places where you kind of became ashamed of your body I mean the whole premise of my TED talk was 
moving from shame to honor in the female body. And it's unbelievable the layers of shame that every woman has around her body. I mean, it's just, we come into it, we gestate in it, in our mother's bodies, we come through it. I mean, it's the genitalia, it's being female, it's the feminine, it's menstruation, it's sexuality, it's don't touch yourself, it's on and on and on. So my guess would be, it brings up the initial, I mean, probably I would have read the energy for them and kind of translated that in that situation. But I would say like, yeah, it almost seems funny because it's like we haven't even understood the power we have. And and how do you diminish power? You shame it. If you don't want someone to be in their power, you shame them. Or so make it, fun of them. Yeah, make fun yeah, of them. Yeah. It's a whole patriarchal system that's mm. so embodied in our cells that we don't even know. We're not separate from it. We're very much for carrying it all. Mm. So, you know, probably it's just the discomfort of reconnecting to a place that feels very shameful. I ran into that when I went to publish Wild Feminine. You know, I had lots of people laughing and <laughs> publishers, the top women publishers, you know, and it's just, it's kind of, um, it's kind of heartbreaking really, but we have to go through that a little bit and go through the discomfort of it, you know, and like, well, and it's I, also hidden behind humor, humor as, yeah. as the pain of shame, actually, it's, it's made yeah. light of when it actually is, ha ha ha, don't you dare mention ovary power. Right, right. How about Naomi Wolf? She wrote a book called Vagina, you know, and it came out. um, She was raked over the coals by feminists who, because she talked about the power of her vagina. Now, I would have maybe, like, she and I talked after it was published, and I offered her support because I said I absolutely agree with you, and she needed maybe more conversations to support it because um, she got ridiculed. It was like, oh, she thinks the power is in the vagina. Oh, my God. You know, know, and it's like, okay, let's have a dialogue here. Um, you know, that's coming out of pain, that whole, even that whole statement is coming out of pain and sort of a fracture. And the feminist movement did still move us away from the body, not towards the feminine or our bodies. It, it empowered us in one way to like take care of, you know, like doing our own speculum exams. It was very heady and not very embodied. And so, you know, there's whole aspects of healing still that need to happen that are throughout all kinds of, you know, women that would be, um, kind of awake in some ways, but not realizing, and I've sat with over 10,000 women in the body. So I can tell you these patterns are just like, they are so woven in there. We really have to unpack them in order to come back into our feminine power. So sometimes it is the sort of bubbling up giggle. It's, you're starting to tap into the shame layers that are way down in there. And sitting with that discomfort is part of it. I mean, I sit with it a lot in my classes with women with, and I'm really um, familiar with it. And also I just sit with it. <laughs> you sit with it and eventually like, it, you know, transmutes. You don't shame, shame the shame into, into changing. You sit no. with it, give it the space to, to discover yeah. itself really, you know, and that's, that's part of, you mm-hmm. know, what I'm talking about here too, is allowing this conversation to, to happen. And as you were talking about with your, with your boys too, allowing that, um, space to, to be there so that that relationship, that new relationship can form with that feminine energy that, that can, you know, come into some sort of reverence for it, you know? Yeah. And it's a repair. I think maybe foremost, it's understanding that it's a repair. We have to come at it in different ways. We are repairing something that was lost, and um, that repair is comes in layers, you know, and, and honor is the antidote to shame. So, well, that's a great um, 
way to end. Honor is the antidote to shame. And tell us uh, what what's coming up. The TED Talk will be coming out. Do you know the dates on that? We can stay tuned well, looking I, for that. Yeah, it's I, there was. It should be any day. I just saw the edited version. It's beautiful, and I'm excited to share it and put it put it out there. So that'll be coming soon, probably within weeks. And um, it's just I'm still teaching my work to providers around the country and around the world, um, just sharing and teaching about holistic pelvic care and holistic pelvic energy, so that there are more providers that can actually sit with women in this deep way. So it's a whole framework of reading and working with energy and healing trauma imprints and transmuting shame and delving into the body and working with women kind of in partnership so they really start to understand and own the power of their bodies. And um, so that's all on my website, wildfeminine.com. Wildfeminine.com and Wild Feminine also has a page on Facebook and you'll be able to find links to all those things and to purchase Tammy's books on the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com. And stay tuned for some events online and in person for the Shakti Summer Reading Series, which is this month featuring Wild Feminine. Thank you so much, Tammy, for sharing your wisdom and for all the work that you've done. Thank you so much for just holding space for this kind of work and for the conversation. I so appreciate the work you're doing in the world. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.